Stay golden. Hurricane. Hello and welcome back to the Golden Hurricast. We are a weekly podcast covering Golden Hurricane Athletics at the University of Tulsa. I'm Ryan Token and Matt is actually out today, so I'm going to be solo styling this one for you. We'll see how it goes. Haven't had to do this before, I don't think, in our four years of doing this show. I don't think we've ever had a solo episode. You know, back when it was like the three of us co-hosting, me, Matt, and Pat Fox, um, you know, one of us could miss and we'd still have two. But now, you know, the last two years, it's been me and Matt, and uh, hey, here we are. So if one of us misses, you get solo-style episode here. So here we go. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be fun. Have an awesome episode, I think, planned, at least uh, content-wise. I think it'll be shorter than normal, since we won't have a kind of a back-and-forth conversation that we usually do. So I will go through, break down uh, some basketball stuff in here. We've got two games to recap. Yeah, two games to recap, two to preview. Um, I'll just do some higher level stuff on that. The main event in this episode is definitely the bowl game preview. The bowl game is next Monday, December 20th, a week from today when I'm saying this. And so we didn't want to put it out, you know, usually we record on Sundays or Mondays, put it out the next day or two. And if we did that next week, we'd be right up on the time of the bowl game. There wouldn't be any time to actually listen to it. So the bowl game preview coming out this week, as I think it should, uh, and so we're playing Old Dominion. No, you know, in the Myrtle Beach Bowl. And I don't know that much about Old Dominion, but there are lots of people who do know a whole lot about Old Dominion. And we are talking to one of those people in the episode today, guest expert coming on the show, Harry Minium, the official sports writer for Old Dominion Athletics at odusports.com. So we'll have him on the show here in a bit and we'll break down the Monarchs, how their crazy wild season has gone, get into some really awesome stories about some of those players and uh, what you can look into and look forward to for this bowl game coming up here in a week in Myrtle Beach. So that'll be up then. And then uh, got some other just follow up. Um, Talked about the Grey Cup last week. We'll talk about that a bit. We'll look at how basketball has gone so far in the American in general after that and uh, close things up with some coaching news and, uh, and things around there. So I guess we'll start with a uh, basketball recap. Um, yeah, we had two games uh, in, in the last week. Um, not, neither of them were super great, although one of them was a win, so that is good. Uh, the two games were Loyola Marymount, both home, by the way. One, uh, Loyola Marymount, and the other was Southern Illinois, right? Lost to Loyola Marymount, 60 to 55. Beat Southern Illinois, 69 to 65. A couple good you know, some decent points to take away. Um, Loyola Marymount, tough loss. Ken Palm, number 117, lost that one by five. We turned them over 22 times in this game and somehow lost that game, right? I mean, we we won that turnover battle handily. We turned it over 13 times, which is which is pretty average, you know, pretty solid, I think, especially when you turn them over 22 times. I was very surprised to see this. Matt actually watched this game live. I didn't get to watch this one. I did watch uh, the next game which was Southern Illinois. Um, so I have more to say about that one, but just some commentary on the game. The turnover battle was surprising. I'm, I'm surprised that that happened and we lost the game. It being a relatively comparable Ken Palm variation, right? From 117 for Southern Illinois, 
versus, you know, I think at the time we were about 140, 144 or something like that when we played Loyola. Uh, so, you know, clearly Loyola a little bit better in Ken Palm. But, you know, you think when you win the turnover battle by, by that much, maybe you get the advantage. Uh, unfortunately, not the case. Um, Matt also mentioned to me that there was a crazy pass that happened in this one. This crazy, I guess, pass and you know, quote unquote shot that came out of this. It was a pass. Apparently I didn't, I still haven't found a video of this, but, uh, apparently a pass from Curtis Haywood inside to Josh Hurley, who was like at the top of the key, um, you know, normal, normal bounce pass. It sounded like, and it went off Josh Early's hands up into the air, like high up and, you know, went in the basket. <laughs> so a pass from Curtis Haywood to Josh Early, it bounces straight up goes in the hoop and there you go, you get a bucket. So that, that's kind of a cool, I guess, a uh, little anecdote from that one game. Um, but overall, you know, you look at the stats here, just couldn't put the ball in the hoop, shot 19% from three, 43% overall, not good, right? Three for 16 from the three point line in this game. Whereas Loyola Marymount's shooting 32%, going six of 19 and 46% overall from the field. And that was the difference in the game. It seemed like we didn't shoot very well from the free throw line either. 54.5% from there. Loyola, not that much better, 66%, but still uh, better than us in this one. So it came down to scoring. This was a low scoring game, 60 to 55. You got to put the ball in the basket. You know, you got to get around to it. And fortunately, we did do that a little bit better against Southern Illinois. Almost hit 70 in that game compared to 55 in this one. Um, but yeah, I mean, Jariah Horn, his uh, se season low for him in points. Only eight points this game. Um he played fine. Otherwise, you know, 10 defensive rebounds, 11 total rebounds. That's awesome. You know, rebounding clearly a struggle for this Tulsa team as it has been for the last several years. Part of that, I think, comes from just playing the, the style of zone defense that we do play this matchup zone where the matchup part of it, you do play. It's kind of a tricky. It looks like man to man often and you are running around more than general zone. And I think because of that, you would expect rebounds to be a little bit better um, in general because like, you know, the general, you know, like knowledge of it says that man to man, you know, you're on a guy. So it's easier to block out um, compared to a, a zone defense where you're kind of in a spot. You got to run to a man, find somebody to block out and then get it. Uh, so when you're in man, you generally are going to be rebounding better than you, when you are in a zone. And our, you know, quote unquote matchup zone is kind of like a man very often. And so you would hope that rebounds wouldn't be our bugaboo over and over again every year. Uh, but it seems like that is not going away anytime soon, at least not this year. They killed us on the boards. Um, outside of Dry Horn, nobody else had more than three rebounds on our whole team. Uh, that includes Ray Doe, who played a full game this game. Uh, includes Josh Early, who only played seven minutes. Uh, Dry Horn, like I said, had a ton. He had, you know, 11 total, 10 defensive, one offensive. Um, but they killed us, you know, for, uh, from a team standpoint, 40 total rebounds for Loyola Marymount, 25 for us. Doubled our offensive rebounds, 10 to 5. Not good, right? Really tough. Um, you're not going to win many that way. The turnover battle almost put us in position there to get that win anyway. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned that several times. We won that uh, significantly. We only turned it over 13 times, so they're 22. Uh, but we just couldn't score enough to get it done, it seems like. Sam Griffin, 16 points from him. Very nice. Uh, but we let a couple of their guys really go off 18 points and 19 points, respectively, from their main scorers um, being Damian Douglas and Eli Scott. Uh, so yeah, that was the Loyola Marymount game. The one I did get to actually watch live was Southern Illinois. Um, and that was a win. So of the two, at least I picked the one where we won the game, uh, to watch live, which was good. It was a fine game. Um, nothing spectacular. I didn't, I didn't really think Southern Illinois, a worse team in Ken Palm than Loyola Marymount, but still better than us. 134 in Ken Palm for the Salukis. Tulsa again, 
uh, coming in at 152 right now. I think we were about 150 or so when we played Southern Illinois. So we actually dropped <laughs> a little bit since beating them, which is which is pretty wild. Uh, but that's just how the season is going, man. Um, but yes, four point win against Southern Illinois. Much better on the boards in this one. We tied them in rebounding, 31 to 31. Still did not get the advantage there, uh, but we did. You know, overall, we did fine. We beat them in defensive rebounds by three, 25 to 22. They got the edge in offensive rebounds, nine to six. Um, also, only nine turnovers for us in this game, uh, which is fantastic. I mentioned, I think we turned it over 13 times against Southern Illinois. Uh, still, you know, pretty solid, both taking care of the ball pretty well. Um, we only turned Southern Illinois over 11 times. I don't know off the top of my head, that that might be the season low for us. Tulsa, one of the things we've been good at this, this entire season so far has been turning other teams over a lot and playing pretty solid defense. You know, Curtis Awood over and over again has been doing very well on the defensive side of the ball. He's pre- He's got to be averaging two steals a game. He had four last week in one of those two games, two in the other one. Um, and this week's the same way. He had two against Southern Illinois and he had two again against Loyola. Um, I should have shouted out uh, in in the Loyola game, Anthony Pritchard, four steals from him. So between him, Darian Jackson, and Curtis Haywood, these guys are getting steals every game. Um, and that's good. I mean, you, you want that on the team, obviously, for sure. Pritchard had another three in this game against Southern Illinois. Sam Griffin, three. Curtis Haywood, another two. Darian Jackson, another two. So the same guys showing up where, they, where we needed them to show up. Uh, just got to start putting, the, putting some points on the board a little bit better, you know. Um, but yes, only nine turnovers this game. Uh, only forced 11 turnovers on Southern Illinois this game. Might be the season low, not sure. Um, something to note. So Ray Dowu has had some struggles this year. We've talked about that on previous episodes. He played 18 minutes against Southern Illinois, or against Loyola Marymount, I'm sorry. Only had seven points, shot 50% from the field. Not like he played a horrible game or anything, but did not get the rebounds that we need. Um, so coming into this game, Ray Dowu comes off the bench, you know, and he's done this a couple of games, uh, in the season before. So maybe not too much to look into here or to read into, I, I, I suppose, um, played fine. You know, he didn't do super great. One for four from the field, two rebounds total, not what you want out of a guy like he Um, so who gets the start over him? It's Tim Dalger, right? Tim Dalger is a forward. Yes, but he's only six, seven compared to Ray Dowu, I think is like six ten. Um, so a little bit shorter, but Dalger seems to be playing with a little bit more of an edge and, and seems to be a better rebounder. He had six rebounds in this game against the Salukis uh, and played well, you know, played well from the field, had 12, had 12 points, um, shot three, three pointers, uh, four for seven from three overall. And I don't know if Tim Dalger's the guy wants shooting three threes a game, you know, so far he's shooting 20% on the year. Um, that puts him at two for 10. He shot 10 total threes. So not on fire from the three point line. It does seem like it's something he's confident in. So who knows, you know, maybe if he continues shooting him down the stretch, he'll get better. Uh, but two for two for 10 on the season so far, not, not awesome, but other than the three point line, he played great. Um, four for 10 from the field in general, he had a big block in this game, a nice steal, uh, only one turnover. So pretty, like pretty solid from Tim. And he's a guy Matt, you know, has, has mentioned before when I watched him for the first time in our preseason game against whoever, uh, the exhibition game, like Northeastern state or whatever, um, he didn't rub me the right way in the first game. And I have really flipped on him. I I really am liking him more and more every game that I get to watch. And yeah, I'm pretty high on Tim Dalger these days. I think he's a solid player. He plays really hard. He plays great defense. Uh, the offense he does play, he, we get good minutes from him. So I think his playing time is going to go way up. And, you know, like I like I said, 
He got the start over Ray Doe this game. Uh, last game, when he came off the bench, he played nine minutes. This game against Southern Illinois, 30 minutes compared to Ray Doe's 13. Uh, so that's, you know, something to look at. Um, another guy who we don't talk about quite as much, Gal- Gavin Elkamil. Uh, like, I feel like we've hardly seen him at all this entire season, you know. Uh, but he played a little bit. Uh, didn't score, but got in there, did some stuff, a couple rebounds. Um, so something to keep an eye on. Maybe we'll see some more of him. But scoring-wise, like I said, uh, you got to be able to put the ball in the basket here. That was the problem against Loyola. We did score almost 70 against Southern Illinois, and it was the usual suspects here. You know, Sam Griffin, 20 points to lead the team. Three assists also, uh, tied with Anthony Pritchard on those assists. Very nice from him. Uh, Pritchard only two points in this game, though. Uh, didn't shoot it much. He only, I think he only took two total shots. So he's not out there to score. He's more of a facilitator right now in his role. Um we had Dry Horn, 15 points. You know, so Sam and Jariah, the two usual guys that are going to be scoring for you or that you you need those two and then hopefully some other guys to step up. But often this season has just been those two guys. Uh, 15 from Jariah, three for three, 100% from the three-point line. Very nice. And then Curtis Haywood played a hell of a game in the Southern Illinois game. And he's another guy uh, like Tim Dalger, I mentioned already, kind of was off on him. On, at the beginning of the year, at least after my, my very first impression of Dalger, what seems to have been off. Uh, Curtis Haywood, I haven't liked his his general game for a while, um, but man, like credit where it's due. He played an awesome game in this one. Um, two steals, just great defense the whole game long. Our le- leading rebounder in this one with nine rebounds. Three, two for three from the three-point line. I think he started off two for two and then missed one later. Overall, two for four from the field. And he's not a guy that's looking to score all the time. You know, he, he's out there usually playing solid basketball. Sometimes he rubs me the wrong way. But, man, like when you play a game like this, I want him in there all the time. He, he looked good. He looked confident, made some threes, which we need badly. Uh, so that's exciting. Good for him. Good game from Curtis Awood for sure. All right, moving to some preview stuff. Um, Alcorn State we've got on Thursday. Alcorn State is number Ken, is Ken Palm number 315 uh, from the SWAC the SWAC is the 30th ranked overall conference out of 32 teams, right? <laughs> so uh, not a good league they come from. They are not a good team. They are 1-7. They are Ken Palm number 315 again. Their only win is a road win over number 214 Milwaukee. Uh, they somehow have yet to play a home game. I don't know how this is possible. I don't understand. But they have not played a home game. And to make matters even more bizarre, they won't play a home game until January 15th. January 15th. That like Their first 16 games are all on the road. I must be missing something here. Maybe Ken Palm is off and telling me the wrong thing. Uh, but according to Ken Palm's schedule, um, they are not playing any home games until mid-January, which is just wild to me. I do not understand. Anyway, uh, not a good team. They are very bad. They are 76th in three-point defense, and that is their best ranking, I think, in pretty much any stat. Um Houston just played them, common opponent later in the season, obviously, conference opponent with us. Uh, Houston beat them by 22. Um, their leading scorer is this guy, Dominic Bruton. He only averages 7.7 7 points per game. <laughs> All right, so they don't have a big-time scorer. They don't have really anybody who jumps off the page at you. Uh, they're, they're not a good team. Their other kind of big guys, Justin Thomas, leads them in assists and steals. Uh, Linnell Henry leads them in rebounds and blocks. And that's about it. I don't have a ton to say on Alcorn State. They're not very good. If we lose this game, burn the whole season to the ground, that would be extremely bad. Um, So we'll see what happens. Next up, much more interesting game. Much, much, much more difficult game. 
And that is a neutral site, Oklahoma City, quote unquote neutral. Definitely more of an advantage for us uh, in Tulsa here. Um, but quote unquote neutral game coming up on Saturday, December 18th against Colorado State. Colorado State, you think, oh, they're in the Mountain West. They're probably probably not super great. But if you've been following basketball, you know they are legit. They're legit this year. Ken Palm number 38 so far this season. They are 10-0. and 0, Already have an A win on the schedule. Already have two B wins on the schedule. Their A win is their most recent game. Just happened on Saturday. They beat number 47 Mississippi State on a neutral court. Uh, so not even a home game for them. Just on Saturday. So they have that win coming off it. Their next game basically will be against us or two games later. B wins. They've got a home win over number 35 St. Mary's by 16 beaten number 35 by double digits and their other B win, their third best win, uh, neutral win over number 61 Creighton by 14, another double digit win over a Ken Palm top 100 team. And that one also a neutral site game. So pretty impressive from them so far. They have yet to play a true road game. Um, and I guess you could say that that will continue since we're playing in OKC here, but this is, this is much more of a, of a home game for Tulsa than it is for Colorado state. Um, but yeah, like opposite of Alcorn state, right? I, I just said Alcorn state hadn't played a, a, they hadn't played a home game yet. They've been playing on the road for every game. Whereas Colorado state, they're playing every game at home or at a neutral site, uh, have yet to play our true road games. Pretty crazy, but man, oh my God, I am very worried about this game. Colorado State, number one three-point shooting team in the country. 43.8% on that one. They are top 50 in basically every offensive stat in the books. Number four, free throw percentage. Number 13, two-point percentage. Number 14, offensive efficiency. Number 18 in turnover percentage. Number 28 in non-steal turnover percentage. Number 47 in steal percentage. And number 48 in block percentage. Really, the only thing that they're bad at, offensive rebounding. But we're not very good at that either. So I don't know how much of a, you know, we're not that good of a rebounding team in general. So of all the teams, uh, you know, of all the stats to be bad at for Colorado State, they're probably not, you know, super worried about getting killed on the offensive boards against us because we don't we don't rebound very well. Um, we are not great at offensive rebounding either for what that's worth. Number 240 for us. Again, Colorado State 351 in that one. Um, but again, I'll go back again. They are the number one three-point shooting team in the country. They shoot 43.8% as a team. Their best shooter shoots 59% from three-point line. What the hell is that? 17 for 29 from three this season. 60% three-point shooter. What are you going to do? That's John Tanji or Tanye, uh, T-O-N-J-E, his last name. Six of five junior guard. Averages 12 points a game shooting 60% from three and 62% from the floor overall. That is horrifying because, man, do we give up three-pointers, open threes. And if you're going to hit them, I mean, we could lose this game by 40. Like, this is the antithesis of this type of team Tulsa likes to play. Tulsa likes to force the issue with the with forcing people to shoot threes when they're not ready to take them, right? Try to get, you know... Try to make them shoot before it flows into their offense. Force a three at a bad time. These guys are just going to rain threes on us. Unless some like totally unexpected thing happens where Colorado State just can't buy a three no matter what. We're in trouble. This is going to be a tough one. I mean, they are clearly an extremely high-powered offensive team. They have played good teams and shot well against them. We don't play particularly great three-point defense. Everything's lining up against Tulsa 
Uh, so we'll see how this one goes. But definitely worried, <laughs> worried about this one. Um, they're not as good on defense, uh, you know, compared to their extremely high-powered offense. Not bad at all, but not as good as their offense. Um, they're pretty good at keeping teams off the offensive boards. Uh, not much of a matter for us since we don't really go there much anyway. Um, they are number number 280 at turnover percentage defense. Uh, they are pretty bad, you know, at non-steal turnovers for whatever that's worth, which probably not worth that much. Um, but yes, they have some, some really good players, right? They're, they're, their leading scorer is this dude, David Roddy, six foot five junior guard leads them in points, 20 points a game, leads them in rebounds, 7.7 rebounds a game and leads them in blocks, 1.3 blocks a game. Um, he's a stud. Another one of their good players, Isaiah Stevens, six foot junior guard. All these guys are juniors. A lot of them are guards. It's crazy. Like everybody on this team is a junior. I already mentioned Don or John Tanya Tanji. Uh, he's a junior, six foot five junior um, guard. David Roddy, I just mentioned their lead scorer, six foot five junior guard. And then this dude, Isaiah Stevens, six foot junior guard. Uh, Isaiah Stevens leads them in assists, 7.3 assists a game. Leads them in steals, also with about two a game at 1.9. Also their second leading scorer, 14 a game, right? Um, so those three, I think, are the are the guys to watch out for, particularly against our defense, right? We give up a lot of threes. These guys like to shoot threes. They like to score. Uh, in general, they're all guards. David Roddy, Isaiah Stevens, John Tanji. Um Yes, very worried about those three. And then if you are looking for a big guy to watch out for, Deshaun Thomas, uh, six foot nine junior, surprise, surprise, forward. So bigger guy, not huge. Uh, six foot nine, about the same size as Ray Dowu. Um, probably a little bit bigger overall, though. Averages nine points a game, second leading rebounder with 4.6 a game. Uh, but yeah, the guards are the ones to watch against our defense and the and the type of defense we tend to play. Um where they have too many good shooters for us to play the same type of defense that we usually play, which is given these, it just results in open threes over and over again. Maybe they're not at the times that they prefer, but they're open threes, right? And maybe we try to lock down one of those guys, but one of the other two of them, David, Isaiah, and John, uh, they're going to hit them, right? So I, you know, prediction, prediction, whatever. I think we're going to get smacked in this game. I think Colorado State's offense is far too powerful for our defense to handle, we don't score nearly enough points to keep up with them. If one of our two scores between Jariah Horn and Sam Griffin has an off day, we could lose this game by 40 points, right? We're just not going to have enough to keep up, um, which is scary. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I mean, it's a fun opponent. It was almost a fun, you know, future conference opponent back when we thought Colorado State might join the American. But uh, as we all know by now, they are staying put in the Mountain West. So this is just uh uh, an interconference matchup, and they seem to have the clear advantage in this one, even though we do have a slight um, quote unquote home court advantage playing in Oklahoma City. So that's again on Saturday, December 18th. Should be a fun one to watch because it's a high profile game, but it could quickly turn into a very not fun one to watch as they make like 16 threes in a row uh, to start the game and we're down by like 50. Um, okay, anyways, let's move on. Uh, highlight of this episode, in my opinion. Uh, because I get to talk to somebody else and it's not just me going on and on. Um, we get to talk to Harry Minium. Harry, I already mentioned at the top of the episode, the official sports writer for Old Dominion Athletics. He writes for odusports.com, senior writer for them, been doing it for several years now, has been following Old Dominion and Virginia Athletics in general for a very long time, as you'll hear in the episode. Had a blast talking with him. He knows his stuff. He's got some great stories about some of these players and uh, the come up this season and Ricky Ronnie and how he's turned this team around. 
started off one and six. Now they're ball eligible, right? Lots of really cool th- stuff that we go over here. So let's get Harry on the on the phone and uh, we'll talk some Old Dominion and Myrtle Beach preview. And I, you're gonna you're gonna enjoy it. So stick around. All right, and to get us ready for the Myrtle Beach Bowl on December twentieth, we are very excited to break down Old Dominion with Harry Minium. Harry is a senior writer for ODU Athletics at odusports.com, has been writing for the Monarchs for a few years now. Harry, welcome to the show. How are you? I appreciate you having me. Uh, I've, I've been to Oklahoma a couple of times. I've never been to Tulsa. Love Oklahoma City. So, Yeah, I make my way up there every now and then. I've only been there a few times myself as well. But yeah, it's a great it's a great place to go yeah. for sure. If you ever get a chance to stop into Tulsa, though, I think it's got the leg up on OKC in my personal opinion. So definitely make your way over if you get a, if you get yeah. a shot. My priest is from Tulsa, and that's what he tells me, too. <laughs> yeah, very nice. All right, so let's start off uh, just some high-level stuff about Old Dominion. They've got wild roller coaster series here. I guess not really roller coaster in the traditional sense where it's like up and down the whole year, but it was down fast at the beginning and then extremely fast back up, right? So 6-6, six and six, just like Tulsa right now. Got to be one of the most unlikely six and six, six and six teams you can find. At least when you look down their schedule, right? You start the year one and six, you win the next five straight to to become ball eligible. What happened there? Was it just a difference in schedule difficulty between the two halves of the season, or, or what was the deal? It's a little more complicated than that. And, and to put things in perspective, ODU started football in two thousand and nine. They were very successful in FCS. They went to a bowl in twenty sixteen, and then they. In the years since they've gone five and seven, four and eight, one and eleven, they did not play in 2020. And uh, Ricky Ronnie was hired, the uh, Penn State offensive coordinator was hired as a new coach, and he made over the roster. This is a very young team, um, and you know, with a lot of guys who hadn't played together. In those first six games, uh, well, first seven games where they went one and six. I mean, they played Wake Forest, they played Liberty, they played Western Kentucky, some good teams. Yeah, but they were ahead of Marshall. Uh, by a touchdown with, with uh, you know, 30 seconds left and gave up a long touchdown pass. They outscored Buffalo 27 to nothing in the second half and then missed an extra point that would have sent it into overtime and they would have won. They led UTEP in the fourth quarter and lost. So it wasn't really anything that turned around somewhat. They did make a quarterback change. Hayden Wolf went to quarterback and yeah. I, he has helped. That helped quite a bit. But they, they finally won a close one against Louisiana Tech. Louisiana Tech's a pretty good team. They, uh, they gave Mississippi – they almost – they should have beaten Mississippi State, and they didn't. And you know, they didn't have a great year this year, I think, because their tough schedule beat them down. But So, you know, Old Dominion wins that game on a 46-yard field goal, and then they just keep winning. They keep winning close games. And at the end, uh, it wasn't close against Charlotte. They just crushed Charlotte. Yeah, which for real. Won. Yeah, and you know Charlotte, a team that beat Duke. You know, you know Duke is they're still a power five, even they even yeah. if they're three and nine. So anyway, um, and they, uh, Coach Ronnie, he, it's old. It's an old coach's cliche. He says we go one and zero every day. We go one and zero every hour. We go one and zero every week. And um, you know I've heard that mantra for forty years, and this is the first year I've ever believed in it because really having this one and no mentality where, you know, we're just focusing on practice today and we're just focusing on the team this week. It, there's no way you win five games in a row if you're thinking about winning all five. So they had to win each game. And finally the last week, you know, <laughs> they, they started, look, they started talking a little bit about what a bowl game might look like. Yeah. So. 
Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. I, I definitely, I, I hear where you're saying, where you're coming from on the, some close losses early that could have had him. Like Tulsa had some of the same stuff, you know, like we played Oklahoma state early in the season, uh, could have pulled that one off, knocked right on the door, ended up losing it by five, uh, had it right there. Same thing. Ohio state ended up being a 21 point loss, but like five minutes left in that game, you know, it was a seven point game in the fourth quarter, uh, right there. And same thing with Navy, same thing with Cincinnati. So like, it's like, man, some of these things come down to the wire. You never know. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. Uh, some really, some really good stuff there for sure. That's a really tough schedule that it's also played. And those are really tough. Those are quite frankly, those are better losses than most of ODUs. So, you know, if if there's any, (laughs) <laughs> if there's such a thing as a good loss, those were definitely better losses than ODU. Yeah, see, like, it's so funny you say that because coming in, you know, so my co-host and I, Matt, started this podcast in, like, 2018, and we've had Philip Montgomery as our head coach for those four years, basically, since we started it, and that has been just the story of the story of Tulsa's football team. Basically, we are, we're very, very good. I feel like we play with a big chip on the shoulder, you know, so when we're going up yeah. against a big-time mm-hmm. name, we play great. Those are when we play our best football, no doubt about it. Uh, but we can't get the we can't get the close wins, man. Like we we bail we we miss out on them uh, time and time again. Um, sometimes we'll we'll catch one or two, but the vast majority of them we're we're definitely losing, which yeah. which hurts over the long term, no doubt. It does. Old Dominion did win one against the Power Five. They beat Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech was ranked ninth in the country, I think, in in twenty eighteen. They beat him forty nine to thirty five. Nice. Most most yards a Bud Foster coach defense had ever given up. It was six hundred and thirty-five, I think. Oh so. man, whoa, that is crazy. <laughs> yeah, that was a crazy game. Yeah. And, um, that was uh unfortunately, from what I hear, that was kind of the beginning of uh that night was the beginning of the problems with Justin Fuente with his players. And um Yeah, okay. You know, he's had problems ever since. So. Yeah. No, yeah. Justin's a good guy. I like Justin. And um mm-hmm. you know, sorry for you know him losing his job. He's a good man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and an Oklahoma guy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. That's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was, you know, getting ready for our, getting ready to talk to you, looking into some old Dominion stuff uh, yesterday, a little bit today, and yeah, you mentioned the quarterback change uh, that happened. I don't know. It was probably three or four games in, but I totally forgot that the original starter was DJ Mack, right? From he was the UCF transfer, uh, and I totally forget. Yeah. I remember he transferred, but I totally slipped my mind that he went to old dominion so and i i liked watching him play for ucf like he had a big game in a a bowl game and championship game for ucf and um i was i was looking forward to him playing so what what did he not do well i guess that besides just like overall poor performance i suppose but like what led to him getting benched in favor of the young guy hayden wolf well it's it's hard to say it was the offense just wasn't moving and um there were times when he was holding on to the ball too too long in the pocket. And by the way, he went to my high school, so I'm a big oh. JD Mac fan. We both went to Norview High School. Nice, nice. And he's, he's a great kid. Um, it was just time for a change. Things just weren't working. In the Marshall game, he threw an interception on a on a third and four or so um, inside the the twenty, and um, you know just throw the ball away, and yeah. they kick a field goal, and then they're up by ten instead of up by seven, and they win that game. So. They, uh, Hayden Wolf, he, he started several games as a freshman two years ago. He worked very hard in practice. And Hayden is a great passer, um, and he's poised. He's really a smart kid. You know, good quarterbacks, they're all smart. You know, like yeah. Taylor Heineke, he was incredibly smart. 
Um, he's not as great an athlete as um, I think Ricky would like at quarterback. He, uh, the RPOs, he's, it's, there's no R to it. He doesn't run very often. He's okay. only run a couple of times. Um, but they haven't really needed him to. They, their running game has been so effective with Blake Watson. They really haven't needed him to. And the fact that he passes well, you know, um, his passing against Charlotte was just fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, you know, I, I hear you like completing 62% of his passes, 10 touchdowns, six interceptions overall, pretty solid numbers, right? Would you say his biggest, his biggest upside is his intelligence, just like quick thinking on the football field and or, or what besides that maybe is, is leading to his success? His biggest, uh, I think the, the biggest, the best thing about Hayden is his work ethic. He works all day and he's, when he's done working, he works some more and he did this <laughs> when he was a backup and, and knew he wasn't going to play. He prepared just like he was going to play. And um, Ricky said, you know, I saw that. And when we made a change, I felt comfortable making it because I knew this kid had been working. He was always ready to play. And when I told him he was starting, he was ready to play. Um, um, he's got a great arm and he's, his, you know, his, I think the top three are his work ethic, his arm and, and his intelligence. He's just, he knows football. He's played football you know, from peewee leagues up, he played in a very good high school. So he knows the game well. Yeah. I think you bring up a good point about, you know, you got to go through, even when you're on the bench, you got to go through those mental reps, you know, of get being ready to go. And I don't know if you follow uh, the CFL at all, but we're watching it tonight because oh, yeah. uh, the, the Hamilton Tiger cats, they've got a, a Tulsa grad himself. Dane Evans is their starting quarterback or they've, they've kind of flipped between two uh, all season this season. And, previous game up to you know semifinal trying to get to the gray cup it was the other starting the other guy was the starter jeremiah masoli dane evans was the backup this game and came in and went you know masoli came out he wasn't playing well evans went in there and like you said it's mental reps man you got to be ready to come in whenever goes like 16 for 16 and, and they win that game by like 20 but then on the flip side same thing vice versa right today is the gray cup dane evans is the starter today he gets hurt, you know, second quarter goes mm -hmm. down and they bring in Masoli off the bench and he all of a sudden is pulling him ahead. I think they're in overtime right now. So I'm not sure how that game is going, but it's like, I totally like, it's all about being able to come in and not miss a beat. And it, it sounds like Hayden Wolf's been able to do that really well, which is cool. And like, like you said, I love, I love Daryl Mack. I love DJ Mack, uh, was pulling for him for sure, but it's cool to see, you know, when, when another can come in and just, you know pull off right on, right on, you know, without missing any step at all. That's pretty cool to see. He actually, his first game came against Western Kentucky. That was the seventh game of the season. And, um, Old Dominion got crushed. It was like 42 to 20, I think 43 to 20. Oh yeah. Um, I don't think Old Dominion scored in the second half, but you could see, you know, Western is a really good team. I think that's one of the most underestimated teams in oh, the yeah. country. They, they should have beaten UTSA in the conference. You say oh. championship game. Totally. I think they're better than UTSA, but um, mm -hmm. I saw, you know, we all saw really good things from Hayden that night. Um, he threw two interceptions, but he did a lot of good things. And, you know, against Louisiana Tech, he was really good, and he's been good the whole year. Yeah, awesome. On the – just on the general offensive side of the ball, are, do you guys skew more pass-heavy or run-heavy, or is it more just balanced right down the middle for you guys? It's, it's balanced, but uh, we like to run. Yeah. Uh, Ricky Ronnie, you know, he's a Penn State guy. He also yeah. likes to throw to his tight ends. And uh, uh, we have uh, one of the best tight ends in the country, a guy named Zach Kuntz. He was mm -hmm. 
four-star uh, who signed at Penn State, and Penn State just recruited above his head, which is, means they, they recruited guys who were going to play in the NFL. So Zach came here. Um, I think he had I don't I, I don't have his his uh, stats right in front of me, but he led um, he was third in the country among tight ends in receiving, and he was second in conference USA. He was first team conference all conference USA. Yeah, six eight, like two forty, big kid, um, you know, really good hands, and um, so and actually he's one of a number of FBS transfers who've really played well for for ODU. Um, Ollie Jennings, the third, a transfer from West Virginia, had nine catches for 252 yards and three touchdowns against Charlotte. Not a bad day at the office. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, So you mentioned Wolf and Koontz and and a couple other guys, but specifically you mentioned, you know, it's Ricky Ronnie likes to run the ball. And you talked about the running back a little bit. Can you go a little bit deeper on the running game and how that's worked out for the Monarchs so far this year? Yeah, Blake Watson, he's the first ODU, uh, he's only the second person in ODU history to run for that more than 1,000 yards. The other guy was Ray Lowry, who was a three-and-a-half three star out of Pennsylvania and just was a stud here. And um, he, he he would have made it in the NFL on his running ability, but he just couldn't catch passes or blocks. So, yeah, you, know, you got to do all three. And he, he was a great runner. He just couldn't do the other two things. But mm-hmm. Blake Watson, is he's a small guy, he, he – um, um, but he's as tough as they come. He, he barrels over people. He just, he's Rudy, you know, he just, um, yeah, nice. He just runs into people and knocks them over. And then all of a sudden you think you've got him, and he breaks right and breaks left, you know, for a 20 or 30 yard game. He's a hard runner. Um, and, uh, he's, his backup is Elijah Davis. Who's a little faster and a little, uh, um, you know, more, more apt to break away. And, um, uh, that between them, they've uh, they've done very well this season for ODU. And Elijah Davis was a highly recruited player out of Virginia. He got a late offer from Virginia Tech, and ODU still managed to get him. Yeah, love that. Love that. Love when the guys stay home. That's super cool. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's flip it a little bit uh, to the defensive side here. Um, lots of all-conference honorable mention selections on that defense I saw. Um, so of those names, uh, or even of not those names, just on the defense in general, who, which guys on the defensive side stand out to you the most? Um, they've got some really good linebackers. And um, Jordan Young, is uh, he's going to break the ODU uh, record for uh, tackles in a season. With his, nice. uh, He's going to tie it with his first against Tulsa and then break it with his second, assuming he gets two <laughs> tackles. Yeah. I think he had 10 or 11 against Charlotte. And, um, Whoa, just, man. Yeah. Um, and there's a kid named Ryan Henry, who's a linebacker. He's really good. Uh, he, has, he has a pretty good life story. If you go to odusports.com and look up his name, um, he, had a, he had a bit of a tough life, and he has uh, is, um, a lot of NFL connections. And uh, so they've got two really good linebackers. Uh, defensive line is um, mostly, mostly young guys, mostly freshmen. Um, oh wow! Yeah, uh, it, it, you know, most of our, you know, most of our better players are Ricky Ronnie recruits, which means either they're, yeah. you know, they're from the portal or or they're um, or they're freshmen or sophomores. So mm-hmm. cool. Uh, so on the, uh, I'm going to ask you a similar one to uh, to one of the questions yeah. I asked on the offensive side, um, and that is just about the style of defense. Do you guys stick to a, a specific style every game, or is it kind of a shift and adjust to what the defense is doing or how does it look on that side 
Blake Seiler, the defensive coordinator, he's a defensive coordinator at Kansas State at one time, and then moved to West Virginia. Um, they had a coaching change at Kansas State, and they wanted him to be, I think, linebackers coach. He said, nah. So he went to West Virginia, and when Ricky got this job, he came here. Uh, in my opinion, he ought to be candidate for, for defensive coach of the year. Uh, yeah. ODU has, has – uh, the one thing is to not distinguish itself in throughout its 12 years of football is defense. I mean, they, we just – we've played horrible defense over the years. Okay. Well, we, you know, North Carolina scored 80 points against us in one game in three quarters. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, but it, we're, I think we're third in Conference USA this year. They, we, we play three guys down, um, nickel defense, mm-hmm. but you never know who's coming. You know, yeah. you never know who's going to, you know, put his hand down and be a fourth, fourth lineman or a fifth lineman or whether a linebacker's coming. And sometimes, he, you know, you'll have five guys block and here comes the safety. Um, you know, Blake is, he's really smart. He, he was actually, I, he graduated from Kansas State with two engineering degrees, a master's, and he was designing airplanes. <laughs> um, in Wichita, Kansas, and just decided, he told his wife, look, I don't want to do this. I want to coach football. So nice. he took a job as a grad assistant and at Kansas State and eventually worked his way up the defensive coordinator. Um, he's one of the nicest guys in the world, very Catholic guy, very religious. Uh, we got back from UTEP at 8 in the morning, um, and he rushed off the bus to get to 830 Mass. So Wow. That, yeah. Dang, man. That's cool. And his wife said she told him on the phone, you're going to Mass with me and the kids. So Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Love that. He sounds like yeah. – uh, how long has he been there now? Did He come, he came with Ricky Ronnie, I guess you said? He did. He did come with Ricky. Yeah. Okay. He came here because of Ricky. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting – you know, when I ask him why, you know, why, so you took a pay cut coming from West Virginia. Why did you come here? And then he talked about all the good things he, you know, he likes about Ricky. He says, you know, this is a program that we can win. You know, it, it is. It, it's a program with a lot of, uh, a lot of potential. But, you know, later on he said, you know, I need to see my kids. I need to see my wife. And what Ricky does is he allows the wives and kids, they come to the office, they come to practice. Uh, Ricky tells him to go home Thursday afternoon after practice, get out of here, go spend time with your family. Sundays are set aside mostly for family. Mm-hmm. And then you, and then you come in later Monday night, say have dinner with families. And that's, you know, it's, it's amazing after a game, I'll go down into the end zone and there, you know, 12, 15 kids running around with moms and, you know, coaches picking up their kids. It's just, you know, it, uh, it makes you want to cry almost. It's so, yeah. it's just so cool. Um, so they really have developed and the kids have seen this, the kids, they, they go, you know, they eat with the coaches at least once a week. Um, you know, nice. all the kids who were in town went to have dinner with the coaches at Thanksgiving. And, um, they, re- I, I think that's one of the reasons they were able to hang in there after being one and six. They, this group is so close. And a lot of people say that, you know, we, you know, we're all brothers and, and everything. And, I've covered a lot of football. I covered Frank, you know, Frank Beamer and George Welsh at, at UVA, uh, Bill Dooley. And this really is a close team. Yeah. This is I, a really close team. It sounds like I, those are things you just said in there are things I've never, you know, I, I haven't heard any, any teams do something like that. You know, lots of teams, Tulsa included, uh, preach, you know, family first, like family football, stuff like that, you know, and 
I'm not saying Tulsa does a bad job of it. I think they do have Tulsa. I think does have a pretty a pretty family oriented uh, organization going on there. But man, some of that stuff is very cool, and and you love hearing about that that kind of thing. I do think it helps solidify things rather than all emotions on the team being based on record alone, right? And how well mm-hmm. things are going on the field, right? If you've got a good bond outside of the field, you can weather the storm a little bit better. you got to be able to. I mean, you, it, it just makes sense. So that's cool. Thanks for sharing some of that stuff. That was, that was really mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, so you mentioned, you know, it sounds like, it sounds like everybody's loving Ricky Ronnie, you know, first, first real year coaching the team. You mentioned, you know, season got canceled last year for the Monarchs. Um, when it started off, you know, I'll, I'll bring it back to this really quick. Um, when it started off one and six, was there any, like, was there, you know, was anybody kind of pumping the brakes a little bit on him or was it pretty much now we, we know what we got here. It's all, it's all fine. I can tell you among the university officials, we, we all knew Ricky, you know, I, I only met him a couple of times and I said, he's the guy, he's the guy. And that's, that's the way everyone was about him. And they, everyone in ac- athletics, they were that way. The fans, like I said, five and seven, four and eight, one and 11, did not play one and six. Yeah. yeah. They weren't, well, some of them weren't happy. Ricky said he heard some boos and, you know, and he says, you know, that's okay. I understand. They're frustrated. Um, but I think by and large, the fans were, the fans realized that this was, you know, rebuilding a program that had been through one and 11, had won one game in two seasons. Um, yeah. That takes some time, you know, mm-hmm. it's going to take a minute. And, um, you know, and if you really followed the team, you knew they were close to winning. You know, they just three games yeah. they should have won. You know, they should have been four and three instead of one and six. But um, so I don't. Th- but there was some booing. I heard a little bit of the game. Ricky mentioned it. And he, you know, Ricky's a he's a he's an Ivy League graduate. He's incredibly he's incredibly smart, and he uh, he reads a lot of philosophy. He's just, um, he he and our baseball coach here reads some Stoic philosophy and. So he gets very philosophical about things like that. And, nice. uh, and it's funny too. I've never been to a press conference or had an interview with Ricky where he didn't talk about his wife, Jen, not <laughs> one single time. He almost did it. He almost did it last week. And then someone asked him a question about Jen. And so. Um, nice. Saved, saved the day there at the last minute. <laughs> I, was, I was panicking a little bit because I wouldn't be able to write that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing, man. That's, that's cool. I love it, man. You've got me, you got me kind of pulling for the monarchs here out of nowhere all of a sudden. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta, gotta slow down on this a little bit. Uh, yeah, that's mm-hmm. awesome. That's awesome. Um, and let me one other thing too. There were only, um, three teams, uh, that have ever, uh, started out one and six and gone six and six and since 1926, man, one of them was Miami a few years ago. The other one was North Texas this season, and the other one was ODU this season. Eric Bohannon, <laughs> our, our associate athletic director for um, the sports information, he dug that stat up. I mean, that's pretty amazing when you yeah. think about it. Yeah, and that, that is. You know, North Texas also had a – I mean, they had a good season as well yeah. to, you know, to beat UTSA the way they did in the last game. You know, yeah. you got you, you to admire that. Yeah, pretty wild stuff. Uh, okay, so we've talked a lot about you know various guys on both sides of the ball. Are there any names that you haven't mentioned yet that are guys just to, for fans you know that are watching the game to keep an eye out for guys that might make a big play that we haven't discussed much yet or anything like that? Well, if you want to talk about a lineman, talk about Isaac Weaver. Uh, he's a center for ODU. He uh, 
Um, he used to have hair down to here, and now he's he's got to cut short. Uh, he did not make All Conference USA, uh, which really uh, did not leave Ricky Ronning happy. He's a fifth year, six year senior. We have yeah. we have uh, three six year seniors on this team, which is quite unusual. It's all yeah. because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, JoJo Hayden, a safety, is another guy. Uh, he's a six year senior. He's from Pennsylvania. Um, he's had two interceptions in the last couple of games. Uh, he's you know, really stepped up big and has has been an emotional leader for this team. Isaac Jordan and uh, Nick Rice are the team captains. And Nick's an interesting guy. He's from Florida. He's got long hair. It's blonde. And he likes to flip it around. <laughs> but he doesn't go surfing. He doesn't fish. And he's really from Atlanta. He actually hates the beach. So uh, <laughs> nice. He's, he's, yeah, he's, he's a, I've written a couple of stories about him. He's a, he's re- and he's got two business degrees. And uh, – and he's he's headed for big things there. I don't think he's going to go in the NFL, but he is the all-time best kicker in ODU history. You know, he's he's kicked 66 field goals, I think, and 19 in a season uh, to break his own record this season. Awesome. Uh, all right, so let me get your you know coming to a close here. I got a couple more questions for you, but just sure. you know wrap it up a little bit. How you know Tulsa and Old Dominion never played before. Uh, Tulsa it looks like is currently a nine point nine and a half point favorite in the game. Um, just how do you how do you think this one's going to go? How do you think how do you see it going? I, I think if you base this game on talent alone, I think Tulsa probably wins. I mean they they're more experienced. They played a tougher schedule, um, but there's you know, there, there's, there are a lot of things that happen in a bowl game. You know, there are a lot of surprises in bowl games. So the first thing, Old Dominion hasn't been to a bowl, and um, only three guys on this team have been to a bowl, Isaac Weaver, JoJo Hayden, and, and, um, and Jordan Young. And mm-hmm. they were freshmen back in 2016. No one else on the team who's been at Old Dominion has been to a bowl. So mm-hmm. they're not just content with going. They want to win. So how much does that mean? I don't know. Uh, Tulsa, are they really happy with coming to Myrtle Beach? You know, it's, it's my understanding they really wanted to go to Dallas, and I don't blame them. You know, uh, you know they they probably don't know a lot old a lot about Old Dominion. This is a long trip. Um, are they excited about this? You know, probably, but maybe not. You know, who knows? Um, and and then there's you know it's it's will have been. I guess about three weeks since these teams last played. So, you know, that can have an effect when you haven't played football and all you've done is practice. And especially with the coaches out recruiting, you know, signing day is this Thursday. Yeah. You know, there's just a lot of things that get in the way of a a bowl game. I think bowl games are tough to predict. I think Old Dominion will be more motivated than Tulsa. That's a guess on my part. Um, I think Tulsa probably has better talent and, um, I hope it's a close game. I hope it's a good game for both teams. Yeah, I really think it's going to be like we've we've talked about plenty already. Just, you know, six and six from Old Dominion side easily could have been, you know, a nine and three team, nine and three, eight and four right there, like easily at the flip of a switch. Right. And so I do think it's same thing for Tulsa, though, too. Tulsa, had they won those games, they'd be in the top 25. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, fair enough. Um, But yeah, I I do think it's going to be I think it'll be a close game. I don't think either team is going to run away with this one. And I think I agree with a lot of the points you brought up. You know, who knows how Tulsa's feeling about this game? It is a longer trip for them. Um, Lots Mm -hmm. of things play into it. So yeah, I hear what you're saying for sure. And I think Old I know Old Dominion will have no more fans here. We sold about 3,000 tickets, and 
more nice. coming. Um, and I can't imagine Tulsa, a lot of Tulsa fans are going to make the trip. It is a long trip. And it's, you know, it's not like you're going to Boca Raton or yeah. Miami. Beach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Myrtle Beach is a great place. I love Myrtle Beach, but oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's not a, you know, it's, it's winter in South Carolina. It's not yeah. winter in, in, in uh, Florida. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. Um, last thing before I let you go here, I want to get, you know, I feel like it's my responsibility to get some conference realignment thoughts from you. You've probably been asked about this plenty of times. You've probably talked about it plenty of times, but uh, I don't know. I, I haven't really gotten to speak with anybody uh, from Conference USA lately uh, in person or, you know, face to face about what they think about everything going on. So like, you know, so Old Dominion headed to the Sun Belt. I think 2023, if I if I remember that right, was the or at least that's what people are kind of thinking. Um, how do you how do you feel about the landing spot? Is that the ideal? Uh, would you rather have been somewhere else? Is it more like anything is uh, better than CUSA? You know, just kind of kind of got to get out. Or you know, how are you feeling about everything there? I know I know one thing that Wood Sealy, our athletic director, worked with uh, Judy McLeod, the Conference USA commissioner, to try to keep Conference USA together. Mm-hmm. That was our first option. And um, he flew with Judy to some some places to talk with people. And then it, at some point, it just became evident that the Sun Belt was the place to go. Um, it, it's and it's, you know, it's not that we dislike Conference USA. It's, it's just the Sun Belt has so much more to offer. All their games are on an ESPN. Every yeah. game is on ESPN, you know, even if it's ESPN Plus. You just go to the app. You can see the game. Yeah. Conference USA, you can be on Facebook Live, you can be yeah. on Stadium, you can uh, be on CBS Sports Network, you can be on ESPN Plus. You don't know where to find the games. The second thing is the Sun Belt is an up-and-coming conference. They've got a better record non-league than Conference USA. They've got a better bowl record. They've got a better head-to-head record against Conference USA. But the most important thing for us is that we have regional rivals now. You know, we yeah. our closest rival was Charlotte, which is about five and a half hours away. But we have nothing in common with Charlotte other than yeah. both, you know, urban universities. The Sun Belt is going to have James Madison. Um, we had a fierce rivalry with James Madison and FCS. Yeah. And the hate it's been nine years since we've played, but the hate between these the fan bases of the two teams is still there. Yeah. So that makes the Sun Belt instantly a better pick. Plus, awesome. Appalachian and Coastal are both good programs. I yep. mean, those are great football programs. They're within driving distance of Norfolk. So our fans can start going on the road to game again to watch us, which is not really an option in Conference USA. We're not playing at FIU. We're not playing at FIU. We're not going to UTEP. You know, the furthest road trip we'll make in the division is to Atlanta to play uh, Georgia State. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can get to Atlanta pretty cheaply. There's there's so many flights there. Um, so it's just a better – it's it, – it's just a better deal in so many ways. Yeah. And in basketball and other sports, I think it's kind of a wash. Um, you know, if you look at the Sun Belt, has been rated a little bit higher than Conference USA in the net and RPIs in the last five or six years, for the most part. In women's basketball, not so much. In baseball, yeah, it's a, it's it's a really good league in in baseball and that's important to old dominion we were a number one seed last year yeah and lost to uh lost to uva in the columbia regional final um so there's just there's just a a lot to like about the sun belt yeah i agree i feel like it makes a ton of sense feels like a perfect match for old dominion i love the james madison rivalry coming back i knew you were going to bring that one up Mm -hmm. that one is awesome so yeah i I totally feel Mm -hmm. you um cool 
Uh, so any any big stories about Old Dominion that I missed that you want to bring up or anything like that before we wrap it up here? I know uh, usually we go about 30 minutes on these, so we're a little bit over time. But I uh, want to let you bring up anything that um, if there's a cool story that I might have missed. Um, yeah, let me think about that for a second and, and tell people who are listening, if you want to find out about ODU, go to odusports.com and go to Bulls Central and you'll see all the news and, and, and things we have there. I've written some good stories. Uh, you know, Isaac Weaver, he lost his father when he was a kid. Um, and his stepdad stepped in and, and helped him. Um, and remind uh, me which what position Isaac Weaver was? Isaac Weaver is a center. He's a six-year center. Yeah, and, okay. Um, just a great kid, great kid. And he did not make first-team conference US, all USA, so he's going to be boiling, I think, when he gets up against Tulsa. As a matter of fact, the entire ODU offensive line has really had a good year. He was not supposed to be a very good group, and they've Hayden Wolf needed protection, and he got it. Um, um, I'm going to be doing a story on a uh, defensive back by the name of Terry Jones, and he is from um, Baltimore. And um, – I interviewed him for about 45 minutes. At the end of the interview, we wound up hugging each other. He uh, has tattoos on his arm here for his brother who died next to him in a car when he was 11. He died of diabetes. He grew up in a horrible neighborhood in Baltimore, and he has a tattoo right here for his his, um, friend who got shot right in front of his house. Wow, man. um, You know, he is... uh, he, went, he was a tough kid when he came to ODU. They had some issues with him, and he has uh, turned things around. He's one of the kids who, who came out of the inner city uh, and was saved. And football saved him. You know, football yeah. can't save everyone, but it saved this kid. That's going to be a really good story. And I will, uh, um, if you're following Tulsa football on, um, which I do now, follow Tulsa football on Twitter. Um, I'm. Uh, associating all my stories with that. So, you know, Tulsa fans will be able to see it if they want to. It's, and I was talking, let me add one other thing. I was talking to Ricky yep. about, about Terry Jones and, and uh, he says, everyone talks about the, uh, you know, all the, 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 all the hurdles we had to overcome being one in six and all that. He said, you know, for a bunch of our kids, that was the easy part. The hard part was surviving. Yeah. And, and, you know, getting into school, staying in school. And so they've got a lot of kids like that on this team. Old Dominion, about 25,000 students. We're an urban university. We have great high tech program, great chemistry program. Um, we, we, uh, put out a lot of engineers and we also, uh, educated a lot of the military because the North, uh, the world's largest Navy base is here. We also have army and, uh, air force bases here, but the thing Old Dominion does the best is it, is it educates first-gen students. So it's your kids who's, who's no one in their family has gone to college. That's mm-hmm. the thing we do the best. And that's the thing that ODU football does well, too. Terry Jones, no one in his family has graduated from college, and he will graduate. And his life will be improved and you know, in, in a way that wouldn't happen if he hadn't played football. So that's why I do this job, get to tell stories like that. It's, um, that's what I love about my job. Amazing, man. Yeah, you definitely have me pulling for the pulling for Old Dominion a little bit more than I thought I would by the end of this uh, by the end of this episode. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, really, really pull enjoy. For us, pull for us next year in our opener. We open <laughs> yeah, a pool yeah. against Virginia Tech. Oh, baby. Yeah, that'll be a fun one. 
Brent Fry, it's his first game, and he and, and he and Ricky Ronnie uh, work together on the Penn State staff. So one was offensive coordinator, one was defensive coordinator. So Very that's, nice. Yeah, adding some motion to that game. Yeah. Very cool. All right, Harry. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Um, anything else you want to shout out here at the very end? Where can people find you, like, online? I know you, you shouted out odusports.com a couple of times, but anything else? Um, I, I'm at – I'm on Twitter. If you just do Minium, M-I-N-I-U-M, I'm going to pop up. No one else has named that. And I'm impressed that you, you realized you knew how to pronounce my name. No one else does. Lucky so. guess. Got it. <laughs> I should have I should have asked you before we started, but I'm glad I, I'm glad I got it right. You did. So I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on. And uh, we'll have a good one on, uh, I guess it's, is it, it's on a Tuesday, right? What day is the 20th? It's it's Monday. Is that Monday. Okay. There you ESPN. go. Monday. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. All right. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks again for coming on the show and uh we'll we'll see you then. You guys take care. All right. Thanks again to Harry Minium for coming on the show, breaking down Old Dominion for us, talking some Monarch Athletics, talking some Myrtle Beach Ball preview. Uh, really fun. I, I can't wait for the ball game. I don't know if any of you guys uh, listening are going. Let us know if you are. Neither Matt nor I can go. We'll both be back in St. Louis. Both already have some holiday plans lined up. So if you're going, would love to be there in spirit. Uh, so send us photos, send us pictures, um, tweet at us if you're at the game, anything like that. We'd love to see what it's like over there in Myrtle Beach and, and how we do against the Monarchs. So thanks again to Harry for breaking them down with us. Um, loved it. Really loved it a lot. Okay, let's move on. Uh, just some higher level things to close out here. I don't have any more real specifics to go into this episode, um, but definitely wanted to follow up on some stuff. And I mentioned already at the top, the Grey Cup particularly, right? 108th Grey Cup, CFL, all this stuff. If you've been following our Twitter account, you know we've been paying particularly close attention lately because Dane Evans was the starting quarterback for the Hamilton Tiger Cats going into the Grey Cup, which is the equivalent of the Super Bowl in the NFL. So huge game. Dane has done a great job for Hamilton uh, over the last several years. He was the starter most of 2019, um, got them to the Grey Cup, lost to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in that Grey Cup. 2020 season got canceled in the CFL due to COVID. The whole season was canceled for everybody. So 2021 comes back. Dane was the starter in 2019 primarily because the starting quarterback of the time, Jeremiah Masoli, got hurt in 2019, was out for the whole year. So Dane... Let, took over, led them to the Grey Cup, lost in the championship. This season has been back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, right? So Jeremiah Masoli and Dane Evans, uh, they call them quarterbacks 1A and 1B. They are both clearly starting caliber quarterbacks. One of them was the starter before Dane, then Dane led them to the Grey Cup. So they've got two guys who can win there, uh, no doubt about it. So this season, it started again uh, as Jeremiah Masoli, as the starting quarterback to start this year. Um they started off pretty rocky. They lost a couple games in a row. We're not putting any points on the board. So Dane Evans comes in. He does well. He leads them to a couple wins in a row. They lose the third one. Uh, so, you know, basically, you know, and I think Dane might have got a little banged up in one of those games. So the rest of that season, they went back and forth on who the starter was going to be pretty much all year. Not a very consistent season. They went eight and five or eight and six overall, um, but, you know, made it to the playoffs by the skin of their teeth and then won their way to the Grey Cup again, and against two, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers for the second Grey Cup in a row. So same thing, lots of the same players. Um, in the semifinal leading to the Grey Cup, let me back up for, for a beat here. Uh, Jeremiah Masoli was the starter again 
in the semifinal, trying to make it to the Grey Cup. Masoli got pulled in the second quarter. Uh, they were already down big. I think it was to Toronto, the Argonauts. And so Dane comes in being down and just blows him away. Just like, you know, easy, made a crazy play. We talked about it last week. Um, recovered a fumble that a receiver, you know, Dane completed a pass to a receiver, receiver fumbled it. Dane goes and strips the ball from the defender to get that ball back right before halftime. And then the second half, he just lit him up. He went 16 for 16, perfect game from him in passing when he came in. And they won that game by like 20 or something like that. So Dane pulls him in, gets him to the Grey Cup again. And he is named the starting quarterback going into the Grey Cup against Winnipeg for the second straight time, right? With 2020 being canceled and 2019 also being against Winnipeg when Dane was the starter. So I've been looking forward to this game, like for you know a week straight, every day, watching watching CFL stuff on on uh, TSN and all this, and what happens? But Dane starts. They they don't get much going uh, early in this game. Can't get much offense happening. Um, Winnipeg goes out to a, a quick, I think it was seven nothing start uh, by the second quarter. Pretty slow offense on both sides to start this game, but then like halfway through the second quarter or something like this. Maybe it was closer to the end of the second quarter. Dane is, you know, pump fake, got a guy in the air, tries to run away. He's getting he's getting pressured from the side or from the edges and gets a guy up in the air and is running. And the guy comes down on him uh, while he's – Dane's still up and running. But the guy jumps, right, and comes down and, like, knocks him down, you know, with his hand. And when Dane's on the ground, he hits – he, like, lands on him and kind of torques his neck out, off to the left. Dane was already wearing some – some kind of tape on the back of his neck. You could see it all game. And apparently he had had some kind of injury happen to this before happened to him, like in the last week, basically. And he was already kind of banged up about this same kind of issue, some neck, some neck strain issue going on. So that's why he was wearing the tape. This guy kind of torqued Dane's neck on accident. Totally, totally fine. Like not intentional or anything. Um, but just, you know, I mean, immediately Dane kind of doubled over doubled over in pain, holding his, holding his head, holding his neck and goes out. Um, and he was out for the rest of the game after that. So Masoli comes in, actually does very well to begin with, gets them back in the lead by the third quarter or maybe even by halftime, uh, almost pulls it off. Uh, they were up like 22 to 10 in the fourth quarter, but when it <laughs> comes all the way back, man, like puts it into overtime, uh, I think it was 22 to 22, maybe, or 25 to 25 or whatever, uh, going into overtime and Winnipeg pulled it off and got the, got the great cup win. Masole threw a crazy interception in overtime. Uh, not really on him, to be honest. It got, well, the, yeah, it kind of was, it was a pretty bad throw. Um, but it got batted around like three times in a row, hit three different Winnipeg defenders before somebody finally came up with it. Uh, and then they went and scored to win the game. So this actually, I didn't see the overtime hap that that pick happened live because we were recording our interview with uh, with Harry from Old Dominion yesterday, and it started like right when overtime was happening. So I had to miss the very end of that live, but um, kind of glad I didn't have to see it because that that's that's a horrible way to lot horrible way to lose, especially a championship game like that. Um, but man, it's it's going to be really interesting to see what they do between Dane and Jeremiah Masoli again. Like th this was the same drama that happened back in 2019. Dane led them all the way to the Grey Cup. Couldn't get the Grey Cup win. Jeremiah Masoli comes back as the starter in 2021. They go back and forth all season. Um, and then it ends with, uh, unfortunately, Masoli throwing an interception to, to basically lose the game, although he did do very well to get them back in the lead of that game. So who knows what's going to happen. 
I'd, I'd love for Dane to either just be named the starter and they trade Jeremiah Masoli away or the same thing, like, but vice versa, where they name Masoli the starter and Dane gets traded somewhere where he can be the starter. Um, clearly, he's got the talent to, to get it done on pretty much any team in the CFL, really legitimately any team in the CFL. So I just wanted to see him get some legit, like consistent playing time as a starting quarterback. The battle has been fun between him and Jeremiah, but it's time for one of them to be the guy. Uh, I don't think going back and forth as much as it seems to be kind of working for Hamilton. Um, I don't think anybody really wants that. They went eight and six this year. They almost didn't make the playoffs. They made a nice run in the playoffs to get to the Grey Cup. But you got to have a guy you can count on being your guy every week, I think, to have some mental consistency as a team. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but bummer, you know, looking forward to that for a long time. And then Dane gets hurt in the second quarter. Really, really sucks. Um, that's just how, uh, how it goes sometimes. All right, uh, let's take a look around um, the American. I haven't done this yet for basketball this season. It's been a rocky start, I think, overall <laughs> for the American, primarily because of Memphis, uh, but also just all over the place uh, in general. So um, the last week in general, I'll do a, probably a broader look at how the conference has done as a whole later on uh, when we get closer to like halfway through the season and see how things are. Um, so I'll just start with this week, this week. So um Sunday, December 5th, Wichita State, Kansas State. Big game in the state of Kansas. Wichita State loses. Kansas State's number 71 in Ken Palm. Wichita State's number 59. Uh, so should have won this game. I, I think it was at I think it was at Kansas State. Let me double check. No, it was a home game. Never mind. Home against Kansas State. So 59 versus 72. I think they were 51 at the time when they played. And they lost to Kansas State at home. Kansas State, you know, a fine team, 72, like I said, but bottom of the Big 12 in general, I think so far. Big 12 having a hell of a year in basketball so far this season. Uh, so not to take away anything from that. Um, but yes, lost that game. So then Monday, December 6th, we move on. Uh, Houston plays Alcorn State, who I mentioned already. That's who one of the teams we're playing this week, number 315 in Kempom or whatever. Beats them by 22, 77 to 45. That is more than 22. 32. Sorry about that. Houston beats them by 32. And yeah, that's how that one went. So, you know, Houston handled them. Hopefully we can handle them. Not expecting a 32 point win there, but uh, a win of, of any kind, <laughs> really. Hopefully not a super close win, I suppose. Uh, on to Tuesday, December 7th, uh, number 139 Temple goes on the road to take on number 93 Vanderbilt, Power 5 SEC opponent, gets the win. So Temple, also rocky start to start this year, um, but get the win. Sophomore guard for them, Ty Strickland. 21 off the bench to lead Temple. Uh, freshman Damian Dunn had 18, shot 60% from three for them in that one. Nice win for the Owls, no doubt about it. Wednesday the 8th, number 76, SMU playing number 99, Dayton, at home, beats him. Beats Dayton. That's a good win. Uh, Dayton, always a pretty solid team from the A-10 to look forward to. Uh, Kendrick Davis, one of the, my, one of my favorite players in the American. So glad he stuck around. Probably could have gone pro at the end of last season. Uh, same with Tyson Etienne, by the way, for Wichita State. He also stuck around. Love that dude. Uh, but Kendrick Davis, uh, bona fide baller for sure. 19 points, five assists in the win over Dayton. Um, don't like SMU? Definitely like Kendrick Davis. So pulling for him <laughs> uh, until we play them for sure. Um, on to Friday, December 10th. This is where we get to Memphis, right? Memphis just cannot figure out i mean i don't want to say even memphis it, it's 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 pretty much the penny hardaway show over there you know memphis is number 39 in ken palm they have now lost four straight games right started off like i don't remember what the, where where they were ranked preseason it was possibly top 10 maybe it was like 13 or something like that they were they were way up there 
They started off with five straight wins, got a good one, like got two good wins over St. Louis and Virginia Tech, uh, but then lost four straight after that. Have now lost to Iowa State, Georgia, Mississippi, and Murray State. Murray State's the one that happened this most recent week. Um, Still number 39 in Ken Palm, Memphis is. Murray State's number 90, so nothing to stick your nose up at or anything like that. Lost by two. Uh, and you know, it caps off a four game losing streak. Georgia is number 164. That's not a great loss. That's not a great loss at all. Um, their other ones are all top 100, but when you're Memphis and you've got two of the top 10, uh, overall recruits in the entire recruiting class last year, coming into your program, you're not expecting to lose four straight early, early in the year, or maybe you are, and you're just handling it really badly. Um, but I don't, I don't think you're expecting to be five and four at this point in the season when you're a preseason top 15 team. Um, and it's tough, you know, Penny Hardaway has had this trouble before. He really struggled a couple of years ago when they had, you know, the whole class with James Wiseman. I think he was the number one overall guy. They had Precious Chua, who's playing in the NBA, Boogie Ellis, DJ Jeffries, Lester Quinone, some of those guys still playing on Memphis today. Um, and they also, they didn't do well. They didn't, I think they made the NIT. I mean, obviously James Wiseman didn't play all year because of all the drama of, uh, you know, Penny Hardaway kind of paying him a little bit to move and the NCAA uh, being who they are and uh, cracking down on that, which kind of sucked to be honest, but whatever. Um, they, they, he, you know, there was plenty of other talent, plenty and plenty more talent on that team to be able to make the NCAA tournament, but they couldn't do it. They made the NIT. It looks like that's the way it's going this year too. They, again, four game losing streak. Um, they're a train wreck. Like Penny Hardaway uh, putting a lot of blame on the players for sure. Like, saying that the the older guys aren't gelling with the younger guys. There, there's no mentorship happening. The older guys are jealous of the young guys on the team. Um, so he's saying all this stuff, saying he's only going to play people who are going to uh, help each other out, which means maybe the older guys are going to fall to the wayside here, which I think is just going to cause more drama. But who am I to say? Um, but at the same time, you know, he's saying, he's saying like, it's all on him, all this, you know, he's got to be a better coach. He's got to manage these guys better, which is also true. So he's kind of playing both sides of the fence here. Um, but it just does not look like, you know, time and time again, that Memphis, he's a clearly a great recruiter. He's getting these guys to come to his program. Uh, Memphis in a good spot with that FedEx forum and FedEx with the deal that they have there. Um, but it's, he's not getting it done on the court and not getting it done as a head coach leading these, leading these teams. Um, but that's for him to figure out, I suppose. And then last one of the week, uh, on Saturday, number five, Houston playing Alabama, number 11, 83 to 82 loss for the Cougars. This one. Caused a lot of drama. I didn't see the game. Um, apparently, at the end of the game, there was a very bad missed call. I think it was a goaltending call. I didn't see it. Not going to try to guess what happened. Uh, but Houston fans, very pissed. Um, sounds like some premier sports uh, names and commentators also understand it, like understood that something bad happened in this game. Like I saw plenty of people talking about Houston could have and probably should have won it, um, but couldn't uh, due to some ref either a missed call or, or whatever. I don't know. Um, but anyways, Marcus Sasser, 25 points, five rebounds in this one. Uh, Josh Carlton, the UConn transfer, 14 points off the bench. Uh, so kind of cool. See that from him. Um, oh, yeah. And then one more thing. Uh, Temple followed up their nice win over Vanderbilt with a bad loss to number 183 St. Joseph's. And number 75 Cincinnati lost to number 23 Xavier. 20-point loss from Cincinnati in the, in the crosstown shootout there against Xavier. And that's everything for this week in the American. Uh, I did want to do a quick little rundown on the American Athletics uh, bowl schedule this year, uh, just to have it all in one place here in audio form. 
Uh, so I'll just run through this really, really fast. Um, first, we've got, well, total. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven total bowl games in the American this year and go from top to bottom here. Cincinnati versus Alabama. Obviously, everybody knows about this one. In the Cotton Bowl slash college football playoff, Cincinnati being the first group of five team to make the CFP. Uh, crazy thing. You know, we talked about this before. Not going to spend any more time on that one. Very cool for Cincinnati to pull that off. Very much playing for them, even though they're leaving for the Big 12. Um, so, yeah, man. That's, that's one to look forward to. Obviously, that's on New Year's Eve, so that should be a fun one. Next up, Houston versus Auburn in the Birmingham Bowl on the 28th. Also, super fun. Bo Nix from Auburn just announced he's transferring, so I'm not sure he's going to play in that game. We'll see. Uh, third, man, another super fun one to look forward to. UCF versus Florida in the Gasparilla Bowl. That is on the 23rd. That is a game that UCF fans, man, you know they've had that you know, they've been hoping for that one for for years, right? For a long, long time. They finally get the Gators. Unfortunately, it's in a year where UCF has a freshman starting quarterback and they lost Dylan Gabriel, um, who's also transferring. So probably the worst of the years that UCF would have preferred to play Florida, or maybe not the worst, you know, 2016 when they didn't win a game probably would have been the worst, uh, but they wouldn't have played them anyway because they didn't make a bowl game. Probably the worst bowl season recently that they were hoping to play Florida. They finally got them in this one. Uh, either way, should be fun one. Next up, we've got East Carolina versus Boston College. Another great game. Uh, bowl, the bowl schedule for the American this season, much better than years past. I know we had a new bowl tie-in lineup start like last season. And we are seeing its dividends being paid off here. There are some great games in this. So ECU, Boston College, and the Military Bowl, that's on the 27th. Um, SMU versus Virginia in the Fenway Bowl on the 29th. Pretty cool. Good for SMU. Decent game for them. Um, Memphis versus Hawaii in the Hawaii Bowl on the 24th. Todd Graham, all the unrest going on in Hawaii. Players calling him out for being uh, just a bad coach and kind of kind of an asshole. Uh, not surprising probably for a lot of Tulsa fans, but lots of drama going on there. I'm pretty sure he's still with them. I don't think anything's happened, uh, that, you know, that, that drastic yet, but, uh, probably we'll have some bleed over into the bowl game. So Memphis versus Hawaii on the 24th, Christmas Eve. And then finally is ours. We talked about that already. Plenty of this one, uh, plenty in this one with Harry. That is Tulsa versus Old Dominion in the Myrtle Beach Bowl on the 20th. And that game's on ESPN. Most of these games are on ESPN Maybe one or two we're going to be on ESPN2 or something like that, but or ABC. But yeah, that's all the bowl games uh, for the American. Great lineup. We've got five of the seven are against Power 5 teams. That is amazing. That's what the American's been hoping for for years, and we finally seem to seem to have that uh, lined up. I think it was similar last year. We had a lot of Power 5 games, including Tulsa playing Mississippi State. Um, so yeah, that's all the bowl games there. Uh, some final notes. We talked about it last week already, but Gillespie, or we, uh, I guess by last week when we talked about it, it wasn't official, uh, but it was very much reported and rumored that Joe Gillespie, Tulsa's now former defensive coordinator, is joining TCU as their DC. So going to join Sonny Dykes, who left SMU to be their head coach. He's going to join Dykes as his DC, which sucks, man. Like Gillespie is, we talked about what we did talk about last week was just how impactful he's been in terms of developing players and recruiting players and getting some guys, you know, getting some guys in the portal that have done really, really well for us too. And turning this defense around uh, with the help of Bill Young. So really tough to see him go there. Um, obviously he is, he is more than welcome to come back. Uh, in my opinion, he could come back as a head coach in a couple of years after he's got some power five DC experience under his belt. We will see about that one, but, uh, sucks to see him leave. Uh, you know, I understand going to a power five job, especially one that's not too far away. If you want to stay in the Texas area, I know he grew up, um, 
or not grew up, but came up in the high school, Texas high school system with Philip Montgomery. Uh, so good for him, you know, getting a, getting a Texas job, going to be a DC. Hopefully he's got a soft spot in his heart for Tulsa and will come back and, and be our head coach here in a couple of years or something like that. Part two of that report was that uh, Carlton Buckles, our defensive backs coach who took over for Aaron Fletcher once Aaron Fletcher left uh, from Mizzou, um, he is now staying. He was originally reported, or maybe, maybe staying, still kind of TBD on all this stuff, but he was originally reported to be joining Joe Gillespie at TCU as their probably also defensive backs coach or some kind of passing defense uh, coordinator, Um, but doesn't look like that's the case. Kelly Hines had a tweet out a few days ago on the 10th saying that Buckles will be there for the bowl game. We'll, we'll oversee Tulsa's defense in general. So kind of an interim DC role for him for this bowl game. Um, she says it appears it's not the case that Buckles is joining Gillespie at TCU. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Obviously, uh, it seems like it's hard to know how, how good of a job he did this year. I know he got kind of thrown under the bus um, or not thrown under the bus, but uh, thrown into the fire is probably a better term when Allie Green and Caleb Evans left from Mizzou kind of out of nowhere, as did Aaron Fletcher. And he had to come in, become a new uh, position coach, basically, take over a group that was really young all of a sudden and didn't, didn't have a ton of starting experience. And it feels like he's he's done a fine job. Like Trevon Fuller had a great year. Tiny L. Martin, obviously, doing he, he had a great year, as he always does. Um, Christian Williams playing great. And Tyon Davis, the other corner, uh, did okay. I don't think he. I don't think he probably lived up to the preseason expectations that we all put on him, but or that a lot of us put on him. But I still think he did. He did pretty well overall. And yeah, I think that's probably it. Um, don't th- I think we covered most of everything. Uh, women's basketball on fire. I, I should mention this. I just. I just thankfully remembered it because they had a game yesterday, and they won it, which brings them to eight and zero, which is the best start for Tulsa women's basketball ever in program history. They've never gone eight and no before best in program history after that win over central Arkansas on Sunday, uh, which was yesterday as of time of recording, but yes, eight and no, um, already with a, a, with a tournament win in the FAU Thanksgiving tournament, most recently beat Missouri S and T and central Arkansas. Next up, they've got Georgia state that is in five days on Saturday uh, on the road in Atlanta. And then they've got another uh game against south south alabama this is part of a of a tournament too i guess the gsu holiday classic so probably hosted by georgia state and atlanta um but yeah playing south alabama on sunday right after they play georgia state um or maybe not a tournament since the game already seems defined and it's not based on them winning or losing so i'm not sure might just be kind of a fun uh neutral site opponents uh matchup but yeah, really cool. Awesome to see that start for Angie Nelp. Wow, what a turnaround it's been <laughs> since since she took over the program. Uh, very, very, very cool. Really awesome to see. Um, looking forward to catching another game or two here soon uh, at the Reynolds Center. So I will close it out there. Uh, thank you all very much for listening. That's everything we got for this week. Um, make sure you are subscribed to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Silvercast, all those. We're on all of them. Drop us a rating and a review while you're over there too. Those help a ton. Um, if you would like to support us financially, you can do that. Uh, go to our website at thegoldenhurricast.com slash support to find those ways. And by the way, as of today, you can now, um, if you're on your phone, doesn't work on the web, but if you're on your phone, you can go to our Twitter profile and there's a little uh, dollar sign icon up at the top near where you can follow slash unfollow us. 
And uh, you can leave us a tip right through Twitter, uh, through Venmo, through Venmo or the Cash App. Um, any tip amount, they don't think they put any restrictions on amounts. So you can do like a dollar. Uh, you could do ten dollars. You could do hundred dollars or whatever you want. You know. Um, so check that out if you're interested. Really easy way to to shoot us some money if you like what we're doing and want to support us and have Venmo or or a Cash App. Uh, we would we would really super appreciate it, obviously. Um, and then finally, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Golden Hurricast. And you can send us an email, and that email address is thegoldenhurricast at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. I know this was mostly a solo episode for me. I know we brought on Harry to talk about Old Dominion. Thank God, because otherwise it would have been a good hour and a half of me just talking at you nonstop. So thank you for putting up with me, listening to me by myself for a long time. Hopefully it didn't suck too bad, but thank you again for listening, and we will talk to you next week. 